Shit, it's I have no idea. I have no idea. And you like cold stuff. I do. I this really is do. Bullshit. This is uh, But even I got fed up with the ice after, you know, thumping down your, um, is it called is it a tailbone or? Uh, yeah, tailbone or coccyx. Yeah. Oh, right. That's a coccyx. Yeah, thumping that on, you know, perfectly hardened flat ice a few times, then I got tired of it. Did you fall? Constantly. I did not make it more than a couple of meters. Oh, go. on ice! Yeah. I thought you meant this this frozen season that passed. Oh no like no no! Three that's months fine, ago. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, welcome to Crime by the Bar, by the way. Welcome to Crime by the Bar. That was a very uh, mm. sneaky intro. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have um, we bring you crime, we bring you drinks, we bring you dreams of autumn and winter. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. So, where are we at tonight? Well, you are back from your trip. I survived. The food on the plane was disappointing. Oh. I People complain about aeroplane food. Um, I actually have a real soft spot for, it. I don't know, it, it has something to do with not having to make decisions, not having to do the washing up, and... <laughs> everything being super salty and you know it's going to be salty and it's just nice and satisfying and like bring me tiny containers of things and I will feed it I I will eat it I feel sort of like a a child as well whenever I'm eating it like because it's just I don't know it's portion they give you things and it's never nice but I don't know it also really reminds me of being a kid and traveling alone like being ferried between parents on different continents and uh being I cannot a UM. relate to that. <laughs> no? It's really funny when you meet other people who were UMs, unaccompanied minors. Mm. Um, because everyone has stories about, oh yeah, this time, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, mm. Travel. Yeah. Travel indeed. It's all over. Well, I'm back at least. Oh, true. <laughs> and speaking of travel. Yeah. We are... As we are every week going across the globe in search of crime. Um, I'm I'm in the US this week, but with a Chinese couple. Oh, mm. well, I mean, that's, a, you know, melting pot, multinational twist, I suppose. Yeah, kind of. It's all right. I'm going to say that you're worse this week. I'm definitely not. Really? Yeah, definitely not. Huh. I thought this, I always think it's going to be easy when I'm not bad. Uh, how bad not. are you? Not at all. Not at all? How can you be not at all? So, there is something of a tragedy, but it is more of a, um, let's say, a social or cultural tragedy rather than, you know, individual. Okay. Okay, is there death in yours? Nope. Okay, then I'm probably worst. Yes, finally, finally, I okay. said it and it came true. <laughs> um, let's see. I guess I should just launch into it, right? I think you should, because I want to hear your story. <laughs> okay. I don't think you'll have heard of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I will ask you a question later on. Um, I am going to take you on a journey back to the early 90s. Mm. Um, so, Zaya Wang and Tina Lee. Um, Zaya uh, is also known as Alex and Tyne Lee is also known as Heidi. Um, so, I will be using their American names. They adopted them later on in the story. I'm sorry. I'm using them from right now. Um, <laughs> Alex is a dude, by the way. Um, so Alex and Heidi. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> they, they picked the names. It's fine. Um, Alex Wang and Heidi Lee. Uh, originally, were, they were both from China. They met in 1991 at the University of Pennsylvania. He was studying software engineering. It was his second degree. And she was studying chemistry. Um mm. Things went pretty well. Um, they had a lot in common. And by 2001, they moved to Monroe Township in New Jersey. They got married. And by then, Heidi was working her dream job in a research department for a large pharmaceutical company. Um, and Alex was also doing pretty well. He was um, working as computer software engineer. Things did become, well, kind of difficult. Um, they... They had their son in 2009, um, and by this stage, their marriage was quite strained. Um, Heidi had really adopted American culture and in a way that just didn't seem to sit comfortably with Alex's parents, who were very traditional. Oh, okay. um, and by the end, well, by the middle of 2010, um, they were having pretty bitter arguments with uh, Heidi making pretty grim threats to Alex and Alex was really pushing for a divorce. Making grim threats? <laughs> she was threatening to poison him because she was a chemist and... Well, well okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I can see that. Sorry, I, I got a bit shook. We went through the 90s so quickly. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have a lot of history on them and it's. I guess it's a short enough one this week. So... Uh, by 2010, Alex was really pushing the divorce, which Heidi wasn't particularly happy with. Um, however, by the 10th of January 2011, they were in the final stages and arrangements had been set for custody of their two-year-old as well as financial and property splits. Hmm. Um, they were due to appear in court on the 14th of January to, to actually sign everything, stamp it, finalize it, everything. Mm -hmm. um, however... Uh, Alex hadn't been feeling well. He'd been down with flu and he also had um, what developed into searing pain across his belly. Oh. Yeah, by this point, Heidi had been keeping a journal of um, all of his symptoms to, to see exactly how he was doing and what was going on. Mm -hmm. Alex ended up checking himself into uh, the University Medical Center in Princeton. His symptoms really seemed to escalate quite quickly considering it seemed like like flu and a bit of a jippy tummy um his hands and feet started to to lose feeling and he eventually fell into a coma now oh. yeah um they weren't able to work out what was wrong with him until a nurse remembered a case from a decade before when she read about from china where oh. a student had died of thallium poisoning oh. so i i felt like it sounded familiar, but I couldn't remember why. Um, the more I looked into it, the more I'm like, ah, okay. I, I have no reason to know about it, but there's a whole bunch of random places where um, 
where you start making connections, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is Prussian blue. Oh, that's the antidote for it. It's like super what? uncommon, but it's what? yeah, it's the antidote for it. The antidote for thallium poisoning contains thallium. No, the the antidote for um, thallium is Prussian blue, which is that dark oh. blue pet pigment that's produced from oxidation of a specific type of salt. Okay, okay. That, that makes more sense. That is <laughs> how weird is that? Prussian blue is is the antidote to, to thallium. Um, also, um, thallium is known as the poisoner's poison because it's odorless and tasteless, and it can be administered. Um, it's it's a slow acting one, so it can be administered, and then you can just kind of walk away and leave it to kick in and it's a heavy metal so it doesn't show up in standard talk screens um it's it's pretty spot on it's very very difficult to trace um but it was also featured in an agatha christie book called the pale horse um which i haven't read so that shouldn't ring any bells i Um, know of it though so that's but have you seen the big nothing with simon pegg and david schwimmer no, I haven't. Have you really not? No. You need to see it. David Schwimmer, um, Simon Pegg, Alice Eve. I think it was um, the, the directorial debut of David Schwimmer. Or no, was it? Well, anyway, um, it was. it's actually a really good movie. It's kind of um, an in, independent-ish film. It has that sort of a feel. Mm-hmm. It's um, a couple of guys um, working in a call center who are super miserable. It's just a, a really dark comedy. Um, yeah, British Canadian dark comedy. It's a crime <laughs> movie. And with two guys who are working in a call center and then this, um, this woman who uses thallium to poison her victims. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so it's, it must be in my head from that. Highly recommend the movie. Big Nothing. Watch it. 2006 great fun times if you're into british style humor but yeah it's um the other thing with thallium is the the symptoms are so wide ranging it's really difficult to actually um diagnose someone who has thallium poisoning it it presents in so many ways that it um it could appear as almost anything Hmm. um so yeah it's it's if you're going down the poisoning route then it's a really good thing to go for um interestingly there was actually uh, a kind of craze of thallium poisonings um i think it was in the 50s in australia yeah um early 50s in australia there was a a really big issue with um, rat infestations. Mm-hmm. So thallium became available over the counter. Oh. Um, and it was, yeah, it was effective. It was cheap. And um, they they just marketed it under a commercial brand called um, Thal Rat. And, you know, it's... Thal Rat, and it was basically just... Sold as rat poison, and it's super effective for killing humans. <laughs> um, so... I mean, they called it a craze in the 50s of people poisoning each other with thallium in Australia. So, fine. Hmm. Um, it's it's super interesting, actually. But um, we will go back to our poor friend, um, Seo Alex Wang. Hmm. So, Alex, um, at this stage, had slipped into a coma, but they did test him. And, and sure enough, he had thallium poisoning. Hmm. Um, 
by the time he was diagnosed, Heidi had been at his bedside for 11 days. Mm-hmm. So they managed to get in the, the antidote, the Prussian blue, and administered it. But at this point, it was too late. Yeah. And within a couple of days, he had died. It was another two days later that she was arrested for his murder. Um, it was super suspicious that she'd been making notes on all of his symptoms. Um it was also suspicious that she had made death threats to him. I, I was going to say that. So, so you did bring that up. And yeah. like, yeah, that's of course where everyone probably went when we heard that yeah. he got sick. But so if he died, yeah, how do we know that she made death threats? Did he make notes of this or so? Or It was brought up in testimony at a subsequent trial. As far as I can tell, he told his parents. Oh, okay. So um, hmm. it, it wasn't a secret. All right. Because one, the, the main thing, like, yes, it was good that they actually found it out at the hospital. But since we know mm-hmm. that he had been threatened, then someone else must have kind of known, especially since he didn't make it. And if he had mentioned this to someone and then he went into the hospital and it got worse and worse and no one knew what was wrong, mm-hmm. one would think that someone would have brought that up. His parents were back in China, so it kind of makes sense that they didn't. Uh, and this also goes back to what we've been talking about for the last week or so about do you believe death threats when they're made against you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, the, the moral of our podcast for the last couple of episodes is apparently... Yes, you should always believe the death threats. Yeah, and make notes don't of them get murdered, everywhere. Please. Yeah, don't get murdered. Mm. Um, believe the death threats. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so bad. Um, watch out for the warning signs, at least. Mm. Um, yeah, so there were a few other things that, that seemed super dodgy. So, of course, she had studied chemistry and was working at this pharmaceutical company, but she also happened to have placed an order for Thallium um, for a specific research task that couldn't really be explained mm. within her job. So it, it's sort of fine for her to order it, but on further... And, and, you know, at a glance, you don't think too much of it. Yeah. But when actually she was pushed for an explanation, there, there was no reasonable, reasonable explanation <laughs> that could be given. Um, and the final piece of damning evidence, um, she bought one-way tickets t- for her and her son to fly back to Beijing, where she was originally from. Oh. Yeah. Um, now, she was arrested two days after her husband's death, so she never went back to China. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, she, she stood trial. The evidence was pretty damning and <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised there's not more evidence, but it's kind of enough. And the journal that she used to keep notes on on his symptoms was also uh, used in, in court. Hmm. And sure enough, she was convicted. Um, yeah, she was convicted on the 9th of July, 2013. Hmm. Um, yeah, she was convicted of actually first degree murder and third degree hindering apprehension in connection um, to the thallium poisoning of her husband, whatever that means. Wait, hindering apprehension? Yeah, hindering apprehension. I don't know. Let me, let me check. Um, I mean, my, my instinctive thing, like when I hear apprehension, I think apprehend, arrest and hindering is generally with, you know, stopping police. So... My initial connection, which sounds a bit too ludicrous, is just she was too 
good at covering up her own crime in the beginning that the police didn't know it so then they're putting extra charges on her Mm. which is silly of course but yeah no i don't know and of course i'm blocked from a whole bunch of sites because we're in the eu everywhere gdpr is not hard people you'd think um so the third degree hindering apprehension in connection of the thallium poisoning of her husband thing do tell that comes from a press release and it's the only reference i can find anywhere and every news source seems to quote it in the exact same way or completely ignore it so i (laughs) what i take from that is no one understands it um what i can tell you is um she got five years for the hindering thing Mm -hmm. um but it was going to be served concurrently with the life sentence that she was given for the first degree murder charge. Mm. Um, so the judge ordered that she had to serve at least 62 years and six months of that sentence. Now, she did appeal it. Um, she tried to argue that um, her command of the English language wasn't... Um, wow, this is a good moment for me to get tongue-tied <laughs> on, right? <laughs> wasn't good enough for for her to fully understand um her rights and what was going on and um she yeah she she tried to have the whole thing overturned um but later a trial judge found that she had a good grasp on the english language (laughs) um bear in mind she'd been in the u.s for 13 years at this point and she'd been uh she'd studied at the university of pennsylvania as well (laughs) as the University of Washington, all in English, of course. So it, it didn't really hold up, but I guess it's easier to debate um, whether or not your your English is good enough as a non-native English speaker um, versus whether or not you poisoned your husband when you've been making threats, you work as a chemist, you ordered the poison that killed him, and you kept a journal of all the poisoning symptoms. That's kind of the thing. Like, and bought I can... way tickets. <laughs> like, there is nothing with language comprehension unless she i know mistook thallium for vitamin d when she read on the bottle or something that would actually excuse the murder i know that people need to have a fair trial and of course they need to understand and everything yeah but i agree that having having that as the only point of basing an appeal when like no no we have this evidence you murdered this guy that is i would have built a better case well i would have wanted to i'm not saying that i'm a good lawyer uh, but yes. I would like to lawyer for a day, please. Really? I, I wanted to be a lawyer whenever I huh. uh, was a kid. That was my thing. I think I just like arguing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, stories from another day. True. But that's my we story have... this week. Yeah. I mean... It's pretty cut and dry, sorry. Pretty cut and dry, but no, no, the thallium thing is interesting. I do feel bad for the kid though of course. yeah the kid so the trial went on for two years mm. so um the kid was in care um it seems like he was in temporary care um until he was four and and then i think they found a permanent home for him i'm not 100 percent though what happened hmm. it's kind of sad it's also like when it is someone that young then you don't really get a story from them either, as opposed yeah. to a lot of other, I think the majority of the crimes we've spoken about when there have been kids involved, then they have been of an age that they are like more involved in the narrative. Let's yeah. Say. Yeah. I think that's true. That's it for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we are going to have a couple of seconds of music, and then I'm going to go into my crime. Play the music. I was going to say I'll have a sippy, but... Sippy, sippy, sippy. We're back with sippies and everything. Yeah. And now I'm going to tell you a story. Tell me your story. Mm. So, we are, as, well, we discussed all the travel and everything, we're slightly more global with my crime. Even though you have the melting pot in one place, uh, I'm a bit more global. Okay. But we're starting back in the Netherlands. Hey, mm. okay, somewhere close to home for us. Kind of, yes. Um, this week we're specifically going to check in on Rotterdam. Okay. Which is the second largest city of the country. I think I know what crime you're going to do. I think you might know of it. Is I've there an not... English guy? No. Okay. No, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry. I, sorry. I still suspect you might, or well, you probably have heard of it. But in Rotterdam. Yes. We are going to the rather well-known museum, the Kunsthal. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ooh, interesting. This is this is all new to me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, the um, the Kunsthal has been around for a while. It's like I said, it's museum, art museum specifically, uh, and they had they were organizing their twentieth anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, and they put up an exhibition called uh, Avant Garde, which they set up, and it opened in early October. 2012. Ooh, this is frightfully recent. Oh, well, six years, I guess. Um, oh, less than six years. Uh, so the main focus of this exhibition was uh, artwork mostly loaned from the Cordia family, uh, which was a part of the, uh, as in the art, was a part of the uh, uh, Triton Foundation collection. Okay. Quite big. Uh, it was described as containing... Um, representative works by the most important and influential artists of the late 19th century to the present day. So the Cordia family is just a um, really rich old family, a lot of investments, they had art and they took part of this foundation. Very nice. Not the most interesting bits. Okay. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so the, the exhibit opened in early October 2012, but unfortunately... Uh, the exhibition had to close rather early because on the 16th of October, there was a break-in at the museum. Okay. So a group of thieves had made their way through the rear emergency exit, uh, apparently without using any force, like they didn't see any uh, like violent impacts or so on the doors. Oh, that's ridiculous. I wonder if someone came out of it earlier in the day and just put a stick in and then... Either that, like, there was a lot of speculation, Almost. like, uh, some people, like, uh, there was a huge timeline with speculation, partially with statements from the museum mm-hmm. and other things, but we'll get to some of those things. But like, what they saw was, like, there was um, no real force mark on the doors. Mm-hmm. So they basically got in there smoothly. They ran up and grabbed seven paintings. Yeah. Put them in sacks, like, plastic sacks. Yeah. And then fled. And all of this was like under two minutes. I think it was slightly over 90 seconds or so. 
That is efficient. Yeah, and the, the weirdest thing is like I saw bits of the security footage, yeah. especially the ones covering the emergency exit, uh-huh. and they look really calm and relaxed. They just like walk in, look around a bit, and like oh, waving their friend in. They're going over, <laughs> then they come back and they're carrying the stuff. And like one opens the door and they just like jaunt out. It looks really relaxed. Um, they, I mean, they were pretty well covered. They had like hoodies on and a bit of face coverage and stuff like that. So the paintings that were stolen were, first off, Pablo Picasso's Harlequin Head. Okay. Henri Matisse's Reading Girl in White and Yellow. Okay. One of my favorites, as we know. Well, well the artist, not the actual... Um, I love Matisse. Uh, yes. But I love Picasso as well, depending <laughs> on... Uh, the wow period mm, true uh they got two monets it was waterloo bridge and charing cross bridge uh, and they got a gauguin a girl in front of open window they got one from mayor de han self-portrait mm-hmm. and lucian freud a woman with eyes closed in the case you need a memory jogger i have pictures of oh, all of them i love when you do pictures <laughs> Oh, I love the Monet. The Monet is my favorite out of those. Mm-mm. It's very calming. I actually really like the last one I mentioned, the girl with the closed eyes. Um, the My printout doesn't quite do it justice, but... Um, so, after the theft, um, one Jop Ubens. Very Dutch. Is a the the Dutch first name. name, I don't know. The second name is a bit weird. Mm. But it's not uh, Yop, it's Yop, it's like one O, which I thought was strange. Is it P or B? P. Okay, that's weird. Well, I thought so. Nope, so, don't know. Sorry, Mr. Ubens, but yes, it's weird. Um, <laughs> so, Ubens was the chairman of the art dealer slash like auction house. Yeah. Uh, Christie's. Ah, in London. Uh, they are in London, but they have an Amsterdam branch as well. Okay, hmm. didn't know that. So he commented on the theft with, uh, and I'm quoting, uh, it's all about name and fame. So the Picassos is best known. Yeah. Um, the least well-known is Meyer de Haan, the uh, self-portrait, self-portrait one. Yeah. But it looks like a Gauguin, so maybe that was a mistake, was his comment. Hmm. But he also did state that it was pretty likely that the paintings were uh, stolen to order by an art collector. Um, which meant they would probably be like hidden away and in a private collection and basically risk of them resurfacing was pretty low. Yeah. Um, so they also think it's in someone's bathroom or some of it's in someone's bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was going to say like vault or dungeon or something. Uh, but yeah, so that was uh, one of the main theories, but also because like it is not too easy to... Um, when we're talking really well-known art and also stuff that is immediately reported through the registries and that. Yeah. Um, to actually sell that is tricky. Yeah. Most of the value for these is the name. Kind of is, yeah. Which is um, kind of pointless. And the uniqueness, I suppose. But um, uh, yeah. but yeah, so the, the thing I said with uh, like reporting as well. So we have the art loss register. Mm-hmm. I'm not too happy with them, to be honest, because no. I try to check this up with them. But they also, in the similar way, like the Australian court record thing, yeah. they have like, no, you need to go through an entire application process. They need to pay and they no. need to pay per search oh, and stuff like that. And like, I would assume that it would benefit them to, you know, make that information easily accessible. You think, yeah. 
but then again yeah uh, but uh, regardless at the time of the robbery the art loss register estimated the uh, paintings in total could have been worth uh, as in combined uh, hundreds of millions of euros shit that's a lot of money it kind of is um so as for the actual Kunsthal, the uh, museum, mm-hmm. uh, one security expert was right after this quoted to, um, and he described the museum as, uh, it, it was designed by apparently a very well-known Dutch architect, Rem Kolhas, and the security expert though described it as, quote, a gem of a gallery, but a nightmare to protect. Um, and uh, Did he explain why? Well... I've never been myself, but from all the statements and everything, it looks like hey, it's like beautiful with the layout and the halls and everything. Mm-hmm. But like some things, well, obviously um, these people had little issue getting in. Uh, at the same time, like he was pretty sure that they had spent like months plotting the robbery yeah. uh, and make comments on that. But like there were um, some things, like for instance, you could from the outside like look in and survey the entire room where these were hanging yeah uh, through a window and it wasn't it wasn't too tight of a um, security measure but they had like state-of-the-art alarms and everything the police made one when i read it it just sounded a little bit confused uh, but comment uh, to the press saying that the alarm system in the kunsthal is supposed to be state-of-the-art We've got no reason to believe that it's not, but somehow the people responsible for this found a way in and out. That's such a bullshit statement. <laughs> it's kind of is, yes. Fuck that. Uh, but to be fair to the alarm system, uh, the alarms did go off as they went in. Yeah. And um, the police responded. I think it was less than five minutes for them to respond. Yeah. But by that time, like the thieves took slightly more than 90 seconds they were long gone by then. Uh, so they couldn't find a trace of them. No way. So th- there was a lot of speculation regarding the fate of these paintings uh, during the following months. Mm-hmm. Um, but no real solid leads came up. Oh, no. I think I do know this. I think you might. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Probably. So no solid leads came up until January in 2013. And it was cold. Someone might have had a fire. We'll get there. <laughs> uh... Because that is also not... Well, we'll see. We'll see. So, in January 2013, three men were arrested for the robbery. Yeah. They were arrested in Bucharest. <laughs> awesome. Um, they were all Romania. apparently from uh, Tulsea. 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 Um, it's located like almost on the easternmost point of Romania where okay. it kind of there's a tiny bit that kind of sticks out to the east okay the water and uh, they were first uh, Radu Dogaru uh, Alexandru Bitu and Eugen Darie and I'm sorry for all that it, it sounded a lot better than my um, weird version of Chinese names earlier um, so the very first reports of the arrests were a bit sketchy mm-hmm. I had difficulties finding even finding something to attempt to translate from romanian press uh, there were more um, uh, especially british press referring to reports from romania the very first ones said that the reason they were arrested was because they had found uh, two of the paintings in their possession yeah but th- there were no paintings recovered 
Uh, it kind of swapped to that uh, statement later. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure what happened, but they were arrested. Later that year, 10th of July in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, they had done enough of an investigation in the case to where they were to be uh, prosecuted. Yeah. So by this time, they had concluded in total there were six Romanians put on trial for the case, wow. including one that was tried in absentia and one who was not under arrest for some reason, but still tried, but they, they had, I guess they kept tabs on them. How can you try someone who's in absentia? That's a bit... Well, I mean, trying in absentia isn't that way, like, if you but know that they had like, fled the country or so? Okay, yeah. To, like, fine, set a verdict fine, so fine, they can fine, be... Fine. So then yeah. you can actually uh, extradite them because you're more yeah. likely to extradite in a case like this than you are to say, we have a warrant out for... I would assume um, so. And, like, this was yeah. a very big international deal in general. Yeah. Um, uh, as it is with... I mean, art, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, details don't have all of them during the proceedings. Mm-hmm. But we do know in October, same year, uh, the main three Romanians I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they pled guilty to the robbery. Well, that's something. A bit later in 2013, also another of the um, uh, co-criminals named Adrian Prokop was yeah. arrested in Manchester. As in uh, England? Yep. <laughs> So he was arrested then. I'm assuming that was the one who was tried in absentia, but I couldn't get the name connected, but I'm assuming. Okay. Uh, but he was extradited back to Bucharest in early 2014 and uh-huh. tried with the rest of them, or, well, convicted with the rest of them. Yeah. So in the deposition to the prosecutors, uh, the suspects, the main three especially, uh, said they brought the paintings to Romania they tried to sell them on the black market, but they were unsuccessful. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> yeah. And then they left them with Dogaru's mother, Olga <laughs> Dogaru. Oh, dear. Olga. Did Olga know what she was doing? Well, I mean... Did she take care of them at least? I, I think she made some conscious decisions. Um, so, the before we get to that, I will mention, because... There's a lot of kind of ridiculous points that got more and more ridiculous as this trial progressed. Like because, she didn't like the Picasso, so she turned it around to face the wall. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> not even that. Like just around the crime in general. Like you remember the quote from the security expert uh-huh. and the, all the speculation on that. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, by this point, the suspected and later kind of confirmed leader of mm-hmm. the thieves, which was uh, Radu, the son of Oga, he told the court that when they stole the paintings... He thought they were fakes because he, quote, could not believe you could enter as easily as that. Actually, I mean, there is a point. I'm not sure how fair it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, just because it's easy pickings doesn't mean you should. No, no, no. I mean, it's still a problem. Yeah, but but... no, 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 but I'm just like, (laughs) it's an interesting defense. Mm. Like, yeah. But it kind of gets better. Okay. Um, Dugar later told more about the actual theft and the setup for everything. Um, he he was very forthcoming uh, to in hopes and I think, well, mostly hopes of getting a lesser sentence. So he told them how he and his accomplices, uh, they were all 
uh, like all of them were Romanian, but they were all living as expats in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like been kind of interesting in stealing art, but they basically didn't know anything about art. And the gang just like went around and looked up Dutch museums, apparently through searching for museums on their car's GPS. Wow. <laughs> That's that's pretty embarrassing more than anything else. <laughs> well, above all, it's more embarrassing to the security experts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's let's just go around there. So apparently, at first, they were considering targeting uh, Rotterdam's Natural History Museum. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure if they were overestimating. Like, no, we can't we can't fit a dinosaur skeleton in our car or something like that. But then they actually happened upon a poster advertising this. Um, celebratory 20th anniversary thing no. and decided oh screw it we'll go there oh no way uh, but so they went in uh, with well a little difficulty um after they had fled the scene of the robbery uh the paintings were taken across the border in pillows pillows or pillowcases so they mentioned pillows i know that w- what they did was um they had basically ripped up the seams and just stuffed the artwork inside. So I'm assuming pillows to make it a bit fluffier, I guess. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> and since, I, I mean, we have the whole, I'm assuming Romania is part of the Schengen, but in general, the European Union, it's not that hard to get around. Yeah, I mean, you uh, drive over borders and even if they're not, then yeah. they, they don't patrol borders generally over and, here. So. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, they had their pillows. They pretty easy, easily went into uh, Romania again, and then they just had like a cheap carry bag where they put all the paintings in as they traveled uh, through uh, Romania to Bucharest. And I mean, it's a there. long drive, though. Yeah. Um, back to the trial. You do remember uh, Olga, the mother? Yes. So at, at the starting point, she was mainly charged with handling stolen property. Mm-hmm. So. At the start of this, before the trial started and the investigators interviewed her, she had kind of described in detail how she handled the paintings. Yeah. So she first buried the artwork in an abandoned house. Uh, then later, I'm guessing she got nervous, she moved it to a uh, cemetery in the village of uh, Karakliu. Okay. Uh, then in February, she brought them back home to her house and she described in pretty good detail how she burned all of the paintings in the back of her house uh, after the arrests in order to protect her son. Yeah, good job on that. Where is he now? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's horrible. So th- this was, she, she described all of this, gave that as a statement. I don't understand uh, why she admitted to this. According to her, she didn't. Okay, continue, explain. <laughs> so we'll get through this. So, when this first came up, uh, the Romanian investigators, and they had some experts from other museums and such, mm-hmm. they looked through her fireplace and they found pigments. Yeah. Uh, and well, specifically, they found also painting primer, uh, remains of canvas and paint. There was a high probability of correlation due to the uh, amounts of uh, lead, zinc and azurite mm-hmm. in the remains. And they also found like nails used to fasten the canvas uh, which would have been of the correct age for the stolen paintings. Whoa. And they found that in her fireplace. That's horrible. But 
Olga later changed her story and completely denied that she had burned the paintings and that she had said that she did. Come on, lady, tell us. So, well, well, no, oh, sorry. Um, she completely denied that she had burned the paintings at all. She didn't deny saying it. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, what she said uh, after she changed her story, she did say on the court record that um, I believed that what I said before was the best thing at the moment, that this was the right thing to do. And then when people followed up and asked her what actually happened to the stolen art, she kind of got a bit flustered and then mostly just repeated that, oh, no, 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 there was no burning of artwork at all. Crazy bitch. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> don't yeah. burn art. There's a million no. other things you can do with it. It is just, it's not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just destruction for... Oh, well, it's not destruction for destruction's sake, but it is destruction for, for no real reason because it didn't mm. even keep them out of jail in this case. And I, I, I mean, I'm guessing that was the hope, so, yeah. I guess nowadays you would have been able to pull touch DNA off it and all that kind of stuff. Probably. But, um, so leaving them abandoned at the side of the road probably isn't great either. But, you know, <laughs> in a box with a bunch of kittens near a firehouse, couldn't that do the trick or something? I don't know. Leave it in the cemetery. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Although yeah. then it rains or... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Just don't burn it. But, uh, so uh, Olga's son, Radu, he also denied that the paintings had been burned yeah. uh, during the court proceedings. He said that the um, remains of paint, canvas and nails mm-hmm. that the specialists found uh, would probably have come from possibly a fence with handmade nails from the 19th century um, Interesting. Or apparently he also stated that, no, no, we used to have like a lot of 19th century icons in the home oh. that could have been burned. Um, but uh, no. so, yeah, the, the mother had previously said things like um, the boys hadn't been able to find buyers and corroborated that. Uh, no buyers for the stolen art. And she was worried about the evidence being discovered. Yeah. Uh, it is worth noting that the crime for destroying the paintings. So in, I just saw, of course, a direct translation of something, but in, I'm assuming this might be a Romanian thing because it was uh, Romanian proceedings, but there was something of destruction leading to great tragedy or something like that. It, it sounded rather pompous and nice. And I kind of wish I had written it down, but, <laughs> but that crime would have led to a sentence between five or ten times longer Yay, than what good. would have been for, um, you know, handling stolen goods and aiding and abetting and all oh, that. That, I'm, uh, that I am glad. I People don't care about art crime as much, I think, because in some ways the only, well, arguably the only victims are the rich, but no, the only victims are the public. Yeah, it's, the, it's history and culture and stuff. Yeah, they're, they're the victims. I think it's horrible. Mm. Uh, but so yeah, like, when I saw the um, the normal sentences for the various crimes next to each other, like, okay, I, I kind of see why a story could have been changed, maybe. Yeah, too, um, too late, love. So, well, I'm not sure. So, uh, Radu also explained more afterwards, and he said that the paintings were handed over to a Russian-Ukrainian man who he had identified and written down the man's address on a piece of paper for the court. Okay. Um, but the name was not publicly confirmed and they didn't really find anything on that, I think. Why am I not surprised? 
Yeah, kind of. <sighs> so Radu, who at this point was uh, 30 years old, he had admitted to planning the heist. He was sentenced to six years in prison mm. in February 2014. Okay. Uh, his accomplice, Daria, got five years and four months. Prokop, the man who was uh, captured in Manchester, yeah. for the actual theft, he was uh, sentenced to four years and eight months. But he also got more crime, uh, well, more convictions. I guess he had separate previous crimes that they brought up, which padded out his time a bit. And Radu's mother was jailed for two years. What was her final charge? I think they only got the, um, I don't think, well, I, I know they didn't get the, um, you know, destruction causing great tragedy or I don't think they could conclusively prove that. Yeah. Apparently. But they were also collectively to be made to pay 18 million euros to the artworks insurers, which compared to the previous estimates of hundreds of millions of euros, it's not quite the same, but it's still... It's probably a hefty amount for them. Yeah, but I mean, are they likely to ever see any of that? I do not know. I, I, mm. I'm i not sure how they handle that. I mean, that would be tricky to get for anyone, I would seem. However, the lawyers defending the Dugars, they said that they would uh, contest the ruling, and they tried, uh, specifically the um, payment to the insurers, since they thought the museum should pay the bill. I couldn't find a follow-up decision, so I'm just assuming that it didn't go that well. Yeah. Uh, but the lawyer I've been quoted as saying, in the first place, we don't believe the stolen paintings were the originals. Secondly, it's up to the museum to pay because it took the stupid risk of displaying the artwork without a proper surveillance system. I mean, to be fair... That's that's not really your call to make, sir. But no, to be fair, yeah, maybe the security could have been a bit tighter. It, it probably could have. Uh, it doesn't sound like anything came from that, but it's kind of like, yes, there is a point to that, but always the whole thing of like, no, if you didn't want someone to burn down your house you wouldn't have made it out of wood like it's kind of that no no no. i'm not i Um, like i don't want to say it's the museum's fault but it's also like yeah i imagine they're going to be a bit more careful in future like it's obviously (laughs) not the museum's fault they shouldn't have stolen them they shouldn't have oh anyway um, no no this is true but like also looking at these the amateurs (laughs) just Stumbling upon this and going in and just carrying it off and crossing the continent with the stolen goods while not knowing what they're doing. It is kind of ridiculous. It would make a very good slapstick uh, silent movie. Kind of would, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's the end as far as I could find. Like the, um, as a rounding off, uh, we have a statement from the Cordia family. Mm-hmm. Um well, they told the Dutch newspapers that the only statements we as a family want to give is that it's a shame that, in all probability, these works of art no longer exist and will no longer be viewable by us as a family or by the public. And this is because of the greed of another. I mean, that is true. Hmm. And... It, it is true, but 
I, I know, it, like I said, I'm sorry, it might have been a bit wobbly this case, but it's weird, it's weird on a big scale and strangely fumbly. Like, I'm, after reading all of this and more, I'm relatively certain that she unfortunately burned the paintings. I want to hope that that's not the case. Yeah, I think she did too. But, uh, yeah. That's horrible. That's so horrible. But maybe there is a Russian-Ukrainian man running around somewhere, unable to fence this, and then giving up in like two years and then sending them back or something. I would like to see a forger make some. Hmm. Make replicas of them. And then pretend that they were refound? Or? Yeah. Ah. Interesting. Forgery stories are normally interesting. Well, the the whole forgery profession, I guess, if you can call it that, is kind of interesting. I um, We should do a forgery episode. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably should. Okay, uh, that was my crime. I like it. We're, we're very um, cut and dry this week. Yeah. Well, this Monday. This Tuesday. Why am I saying Monday? <laughs> Why would you say Monday? We, I, we never, never do Monday. on Monday. We don't even acknowledge each other's existence on Mondays. And Mondays aren't our day. No. No. Um, <laughs> okay. What are you feeling in terms of drinks? I could do a Pim's thing for you, but it's it's kind of like a warm weather. It's always warm in here though, right? I'm cold. Really? Yeah, aren't you? Well, I'm working on it. I have an ice pack, but um, um, I do not know. We shall retire okay. and go to the Cabinet of Wonders and see what we come up with. Okay, we'll return shortly. Be right back. And we're back. We're back. With a special guest as well. We're back with a special guest who is not on mic. Um, so what are we drinking tonight? So tonight we took a cue from our Romanian thieves book and decided to do a half hour's job and <laughs> pretend it was a bit of a happy accident. Um, so we're having tequila and lime and salt and uh, happy Tuesday, everyone. We hope you have a really good week. Let's, the let's see. Foundation how of happy accidents. <laughs> yeah. um, we do have some supervision in the background just in case, mm. um, but I think we'll be fine. So how is it? We do salt, tequila, salt, tequila and uh, lime. Salt, tequila, lime. I had a friend who, who actually is a bit of a tequila connoisseur and, uh, tried to teach me to sip it once and really appreciate it and it never mm. really worked so um i think you did mention that you you did mention that uh, this person also like uplifted uh, the virtues of the salt and the citrus yeah he did back that up um well to absent friends and um wait what was what did you call it to to fortunate accidents fortunate accidents yes to fortunate accidents Fair enough cheers cheers Oh, it's been a while. (laughs) It's Tuesday. I'm awake. Oh, (laughs) that was not right at all. (laughs) Oh, that was a bad decision. (laughs) A lot of pain faces in this room. No. (laughs) Well, not anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? No. Just no. <laughs> just no. And it's not like I don't like tequila. I just, I, wow, that was a bad decision. 
It's all according to plan, then. I had this after uh, <laughs> a cherry beer. Like, what was I thinking? That just tastes horrible. <laughs> if I'd have been drinking anything else this evening, I think it would have been fine. But, ugh. Oh, but that's us for this week. Yeah, I suppose no, it is. Why do I keep saying week? <laughs> you it's actually Tuesday. convinced me it's as well. It's Tuesday. What is wrong with me? Um, that's us for tonight. It's us for tonight. Mm. Um, as usual, um, we hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. We are... Can I say we? Do you mind me saying we? I, I'm very excited well, that we that, have listeners all over the world. Oh, oh yes, you can say we. Uh, I, I was going to say, like, asking if I'm okay with it before you actually say what I'm agreeing to is. Agreeing to. Uh, agreeing to. Uh, I'm I like f- you on tequila. <laughs> Shush. Uh, I'm fully on board with that statement as we ask the CBTVs. The CBTVs. I've, I've pre-agreed this with Jonathan. We are very excited that we have listeners all over the world. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here on this journey with us. And we hope you have an awesome week. Indeed. And we will talk at you more on Friday. Yeah. In the meantime, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Crime by the Bar. Or you can send an email to crimebythebar at gmail.com. And find all the bonus stuff, including the recipe for today's cocktail at <laughs> crimebythebar.com. Yes. Um, unfortunately, I didn't measure the alcohol this week, so it might be a bit of a rough one, but uh, we'll see how we go. But I mean, that's the wonderful adventure of mixology. You need to dive in and experiment. Like, are we doing... 50 centiliters of tequila would in 60. Who knows? It, it was... How many fingers? We we judge things by fingers back home. It was three fingers of tequila. And these I are mean, tall are glasses. your fingers or my fingers? Well, that's the point. You have more blood in your system and you have fatter <laughs> fingers, so you can probably I've take more. I've never thought of it like that. Hmm. <sighs> you have so much but to I'm, learn. At you the same so time, I'm pretty learn. sure that there are really tiny people with... Um, wider, stockier fingers than I have. Yeah. I have um, the spindly piano fingers. Even though my hands are big, my fingers are a bit spindly. My hypothesis is those people can process alcohol very well. Well, obviously. Let's find out. Since they're agreeing to the measurement. (laughs) I don't know that they did. Um, (laughs) But thank you for listening. And uh, you'll hear from us again on Friday. You will. And until then, we say bye. Bye. No, in answer to your question, I don't think I have ever produced my own belly button fluff. I could seek out a transplant, I'm sure, but... Um, <laughs> That's zone- the whole point of the story as well. Like, I don't have it. I, do- I, I don't have any... I therefore don't have any stories relating to how it gets there. So, apparently we have a Swedish tale, or at least a ch- tale from your childhood. Oh, I don't remember all the details. I know that it's supposed to be a tiny troll putting the linty stuff in there that's creepy and i think the main reason why it most of the time comes out blue is because the troll is blue or has (laughs) blue hair but i might be misremembering why did this come up is this what tequila does to you because if so we need to do this every week (laughs) or every episode i love this